Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. And with today's episode, we're teaming with PRC. This podcast is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. Hello, everybody. We are back here on Healthcare Experience Matters, joined today by Dr. Trevor Turner. He's a physician coach with the Healthcare Experience Foundation. We're going to be talking about patient-centered communication, empathy, and the busy practice environment, how that makes everything a little more complex when it comes to empathy and good communication. So before we jump into that discussion, Dr. Turner, just introduce yourself for our listeners and tell us a little bit about what your professional background entails and what you currently do. Hey, Casey, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, My name is Trevor Turner. I am the director of the Center for Orthobiologics here at Georgia Bone and Joint, which is a a mid-sized ortho practice. So we've got uh, 10 docs and six PAs, and then we've got a a crew of fantastic staff that accompanies them and also helps run our surgery center, our two PT gyms, and our two MRIs. We've got a lot of folks under our umbrella who help us, you know, do what we do and we couldn't do what we do without them. So we're grateful for that. Um, I'm in my eighth year of practice now. So I started uh, my career off at the Andrews Institute in Pensacola, Florida, uh, and with Baptist Medical Group there. And then about four years ago, left for this directorship job uh, here. Um, so I hold some directorship uh, roles, kind of some dual roles as the clinical director for our physical therapy gym, and then uh, also as the laboratory director for uh, the use of our platelet and bone marrow derived autographs to treat different orthopedic pathology, both in the OR and then out of it as well. So uh, it's a fun place to work with a lot of things changing and going on all the time. We uh, cover all of our kind of local high school sports. So we get the opportunity to see um, a lot of great patients from there. And then usually also their, their families as well. So we're thankful for the opportunity and thankful for the chance to have uh, survived through the last couple of years when the pandemic made things a little bit challenging at times, but we've learned a lot, I think over the last couple of years and are, are fortunate to to still be here and be able to provide a great care for the musculoskeletal community here in uh, the South side of Atlanta. Tremendous background. And, um, you know, I always like to find out what your kind of why is and what drives your passion for patient care and providing a great patient experience. So before we start chatting about some uh, patient centered communication skills, let's uh, let, let's have you tell us a little bit about your why. Okay. It's a long, long story, but thanks for the question. Um, So I actually grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I got uh, my medical school training there at UT Southwestern and Parkland Memorial Hospital, which was great. It was a very busy trauma bay. It was a very busy OB unit. It was a very busy ER. It was a very busy, pretty much everything there. Uh, Big medical school class, big residency program. Um, I grew up sort of watching my dad who practices anesthesia there, and I liked the way that he practiced. So he seemed to be really bought into the notion of the Hippocratic Oath and the fact that you practice regardless of somebody's ability to pay and you provide compassion to people when usually they're really, really scared and threatened. So in his capacity, he does PD cardiac anesthesia. So oper- you know, doing anesthesia for these 
really small, sometimes preterm babies who have heart defects, who are getting major, major, you know, heart surgery in the hospital. And obviously that is pretty stressful, but also it, you know, goes along with having to provide uh, a level of, of calm and repose for, um, you know, for parents who are, who are scared about their kids. So I grew up with that model and then uh, had the opportunity to have, you know, fantastic mentors throughout uh, medical school and residency um, and also had an opportunity to go work overseas in a few different capacities. So I spent some time working in uh, Juarez, Mexico, and Guatemala, Haiti, and Swaziland, which is in the southeast um, portion of Africa. Um, and that was actually one of the most <clears throat> foundational group of experiences in terms of, you know, how do you communicate well, um, especially if there's a language barrier, and you know, not only from do you speak through an interpreter, but how do you manage your nonverbal cues and and pick those up when you're talking to somebody else and also trying to be mindful of those things in the way that you communicate with somebody else, even if their social and cultural uh, sort of mores are different from the ones that you grew up with. Um, and that that taught me a lot. I mean, I think I, you know, I spent time while I was there sort of reading about some other models that weren't necessarily physicians, you know, like mother Teresa and people who are really known for incredible um, compassion that sort of transcends like a lot of the boundaries that we perceive of. Uh, but I think that's, that's probably, you know, uh, where I got my start in trying to figure out how you are able to meet somebody on their own level. So. And now let's, you know, shift the discussion a little bit towards the kind of the heart of what I wanted to ask you about. I, I appreciate all that background information that, that really sets the stage for us. So what does effective patient-centered communication look like to you, Dr. Turner? Yeah, well, so um, that probably starts, you know, I think Katie and the rest of um, Healthcare Experience Foundation would say that starts <clears throat> really when you walk in the room with the way you make eye contact with somebody and the way that you sit down and, and start to give, you know, the immediate impression that you're dialed in uh, to whatever that uh, patient is, is really there for. Um, and so, you know, the interesting thing is like a substantial amount <clears throat> of your rapport with that patient is already set from that first, you know, 10 seconds or so. Right. And there's other things we work on, like, you know, coming in and showing that you're, you know, having washed your hands when you shake the patient's hand and touch them and, you know, or how do you modify that in the COVID environment, et cetera. But um, so I think, you know, that's probably how it starts. And then, you know, part of the <laughs> like the fun part is like for us, I mean, I work in an outpatient setting. So we see, you know, a lot of patients in a day uh, and it's always the sort of the challenge of figuring out what the patients actually here for, because a lot of times what's posted in our electronic medical record is not what the patient is coming in to the practice for that day. Um, and I think some of that has changed a little bit as people are able to book online, because when they start booking online, they can write, you know, more open-ended uh, sort of prose about why they're really there. <clears throat> but so that, that probably is the first part. And then you know, the question is, is like, we still have certain demands on our time uh, based on like how many patients we have to see and when you're going to the OR and not going to the OR, rounding in the hospital, et cetera. So probably the, the biggest challenge is to be able to 
convey with someone or to make them feel, you know, in that, in those moments that you spend with them, that they are absolutely the focus of your attention and the most important person in the world, you know, for that short time that you have with them and for that to feel genuine so that they feel like you're connecting on the level that they are coming into the clinic with. Um, and I think, you know, we just, we, we, we can do some things with systems to probably make our systems a little bit more efficient and a little better. And certainly the other team members that you have on your team and their ability to also exert compassion and their, their ability to make a patient feel heard and listened to makes an enormous difference because medicine is just such a team sport. It's just not something that a high powered individual is able to do on their own. We just don't work in a vacuum like that. Uh, but I think that probably is the big challenge of, of, you know, the modern healthcare environment when, you know, especially if you're stressed and you haven't slept very much, uh, and maybe you've asked for some extra things and you don't always get everything that you're asking for to support you is still being able to go in to a room and make a patient feel that way when you come in. How important is the role of empathy when it comes to elevating the patient experience? Uh, I'd say essential. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot, a lot of times when we, I, I mean, I work in, in, in the orthopedic and musculoskeletal environment, right. Which is a little bit different, um, than, you know, certain other specialties that are dealing constantly with life or death or, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, major ethical questions, you know, potentially, uh, and we've seen a lot of that certainly be a challenge in the last couple of years of the pandemic. Um, but, um, so one of the things that a lot of patients, I think, define themselves by is um, their level of function and what they're able to do and how much that actually contributes to a lot of the other comorbidities that we see in medicine. So for example, <clears throat> we know that cardiac disease is like a major killer in the United States. And it's one of the leading killers of women, for example. Uh, but a lot of times the question is, well, you know, why did you get that cardiac disease in the first place. And some of it has to do with diet, but a lot of it also has to do with your movement and immobility. Um, so in that sense, like I see great meaning in what I'm doing because I'm preventing, or I'm focused on preventing sort of the downstream effects of what, you know, affects a lot of the disease and mortality in the United States. Um, but then also talking to the patient in particular about what gives them meaning. So that, that to me, when you're trying to be empathic and you're trying to stand in their shoes, if you would, becomes like the critical question, right? Because for some patients, that meaning is I have to pick up my grandkids or I'm a single mom and I have a couple kids or I'm the provider for my family and I can't miss work. Um, but then sometimes it's, you know, I've got to squat clean 350 to be able to go to the CrossFit games. And that's fine if that's what gives you your meaning. In fact, I think it's great and it's cool. And we love working not only with, you know, younger athletes, but also now what we'd call the master's athlete, which are, you know, usually people who are 40 plus that are still interested in being active. And, and that's such an important part of the, of the rest of their, their health, but understanding what it is that gives them that meaning. And it's when that particular function is affected or lost or impaired for some period of time after they get hurt or sick or injured um, is, is oftentimes what drives the, the connection between the meaning for me of what I do and then the meaning for them of ultimately what is it that they're seeking to achieve <clears throat> when they come in the clinic. Because you know most people would say, 
well, I'm hurting. I don't want to hurt anymore. And you're like, okay, well, I know that, but like, why do you, you know, what, what is it that your hurt keeps you from being able to be that it's the fullest expression of like who you are as a human being. Right. And the second that you get to that point and the, and the, and hearing that point come out of the patient's mouth um, really galvanizes that, you know, that empathic connection between uh, the, you know, the healer sort of in that clinical moment with somebody. And I look at, what you do and in your specialty as a fast paced environment, very busy. Um, You see a lot of patients every day. So how easy is it to overlook things like empathy and compassion in that environment? And do you have any advice for dealing, um, you know, kind of keeping grounded um, in that fast paced environment? Yeah, super easy. Um, So I would say, I've, I've, I've heard it said before that, and I don't want to, I don't want to make light of the fact that it's hard to study really hard and take your MCAT and go to medical school because that, that is really hard and to go to residency. And, and there are certainly people who probably would be great, you know, great, um, you know, physicians and, and PAs and nurses and everywhere else down the chain who don't get the opportunity to practice because that's hard. But there's sort of a joke that it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, if you're able to graduate, like if you're able to graduate medical school and you're able to go to residency, then it's, it's like easy at that point to be like an average doctor, you know, or an average at whatever you are, um, and no way to belittle the the process it takes to get there. But that, that really that top percentage of people, you know, who are practicing at the highest level, it requires an an extraordinary amount of of discretionary effort, right? And so we've got, you know, people who work in the management, I think, field and are, are you know, PhDs and are publishing on great businesses and how do you run those? You know, they, <clears throat> they I think they refer to that as engagement or employee engagement. That's certainly like a big, you know, buzzword in the in the hospital space and you know probably just in the business world in general. Uh, but so I I think that. Um, discretionary effort is the thing that produces the sort of the world-class or the expert or the, the, the person who really makes the kind of connection that, that have people say, you know, by the time you finish your encounter, whether it's long or short, you know, when they have that um, kind of that light bulb go on or that statement where they say, this is the first time anybody has ever actually explained what's going on to me, or this is the first time I've ever actually had an understanding of, of what it is that I've got to do, you know, to get better. So then, you know, it like when, when you have that sort of light bulb moment, you know, you've achieved like step number one. Um, and then, you know, step two is obviously following through on the restoration of that, that function or that expectation that you set, you know, as a, as a goal in that first you know, encounter. Um, and I think if you, you know, I think if you reach that point, there's, there's a pretty good chance, like when the patient is bought in that if you know what you're doing and you've been, you know, trained pretty well, um, that you're going to achieve those goals as long as the rest of your team understands that message and follows through on it the same way. Um, and so, you know, that can sometimes be, depending on how many patients you're expected to see a day. I mean, that can be hard. Uh, but I think when your day is full of patients who are saying that it makes it fun to go to work again, which is very different than, 
practices if you know if you don't have those moments you don't have those opportunities it's hard to feel like that or to be really excited you know and so i think <clears throat> as we look around the country and we look at you know burnout not just in the physician industry but also you know nursing and a lot of other allied health profession uh, fields uh, one of the things that we've got to figure out is what what can we do to make the system better you know, to enable or to create those moments between whoever your healthcare provider is and and that patient. Because when we do that, you know, it 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 feels good to do your job well, um, and it feels good to make it about something more than just the job where you're going to do what you've been trained to do and get paid for it. And it's it's about you know what it means to live, I think, in a community as human beings together. Dr. Turner, did you have any mentors that helped you with things like patient-centered communication and maintaining empathy? Um, And if you did, what did you learn from these mentors? And then what kind of advice do you have for young healthcare providers in establishing some mentors to help them with things like this? Sure. So yeah, certainly my dad, you know, being one mentor. Another is uh, when I was still in medical school, uh, we got assigned a mentor for like a small group of uh, medical students together. So her name was Mary Jane Pearson, and she was actually an OB-GYN, which was not the field that I was going into. But, uh, you know, she dealt with a lot of people who were scared, you know, because they were scared they were pregnant, or did they have a disease, or were they not going to be able to get pregnant, or were they you know, going to have a health complication that was going to be super serious. If they did get pregnant, that means they were going to need, you know, advanced ICU care. And so, um, she was such a, uh, like, a a super calm, you know, non-threatening sort of presence and to see that play out in front of people instead of like the, I think there's a certain image of like, I'm the old school, you know, physician and I'm, I'm paternalistic and I'm telling you the way it is. Right. And she was not like that at all. You know, she was very much an example of like, Hey, like I'm, I'm your partner, you know, on this journey and we're going to get through this, you know, together and you're going to be okay. Right. So that was probably one of the best early examples I'd seen. Um, and then, uh, gosh, I mean, Every everybody I had a chance to work with in Africa who was working with Doctors Without Borders uh, was such a great example, and the Baylor International Pediatric AIDS Initiative, um, and just the just the the steadfastness with which it took to you know to keep doing work like that um, despite the sort of the overwhelming odds of of poverty and social cultural transformation that had to go on to make that sustainable. Um, and then, you know, ultimately in my last practice, James Andrews, who is kind of, you know, people joke that I guess he's on, if there was like a Mount Rushmore <clears throat> of orthopedics in the United States, like he'd, he'd be on it, you know? Um, but it was interesting because I, I tried to ask him one time about what was the moment in his career that sort of like propelled him to this level of stardom, you know, cause he's got, I mean, you know, laundry list of all these you know, fantastic athletes he he treated and, you know, Drew Brees came back and won the Super Bowl and, you know, pitchers and, and so on and so on. But, you know, he just kind of said to me, he was like, it's not a singular moment. You know, he's just like, you just get up every day and just decide to do the right thing, you know? And I saw him giving his cell phone. I mean, he was always giving a cell phone number out to patients. He was definitely like, 
you know, not wanting to provide these barriers like between like EMRs and systems and a lot of things that I think make make medicine feel somewhat impersonalized like now um, in the United States. And so seeing the seeing that amount of service and that personal attention to detail uh, was an example that you know showed me if you if you really want to you know if you really want to build something big and bold and beautiful you know that makes people feel valued um different from what can sometimes be a fairly fractured or poor customer service experience i think in medicine compared to like some of the other industries that we have in the united states um, that was a fantastic example incredible so let's flash back to when you were a young healthcare provider right out of residency. Um, what kind of advice would you give yourself, um, knowing what you know now, uh, on patient-centered communication, maintaining empathy, or really anything? Yeah, gosh, that first year out of residency is so challenging because what you've realized is, and I guess it depends on the environment in which you practice, whether you go into academic medicine or private practice or not, <clears throat> you know, and for me, I was employed by a, you know, a, a healthcare entity or a hospital, I guess, association, but I was still, you know, in private practice and expected to produce at, at, you know, a certain level of, of financial accountability. Right. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't get trained to do that <laughs> so much in residency. I mean, you figure out in residency how hospitals work and how to get things done and how to, you know, how to work as a team, probably much more so than medical school, which was more, you know, how do you achieve highly as an individual? Um, and I think in residency, you see team players really rise, you know, they rise to the top. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, it's just, it's easy, I think as a right out of residency to get a little bit overwhelmed and, um, and, 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 you know, sometimes people have put on hold certain things like getting married or buying a house or, 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 you know, just things that maybe a lot of our peers had done at a younger age who didn't have the same training pipeline in terms of, you know, time maybe as we did. But, um, you know, it was, I had an advantage cause I was, I was by the beach, so I could just, <laughs> I could just, go to the beach for a day and reflect a little bit on that. But um, I think making time for reflection and then just not losing sight um, of your mission, you know, and I think uh, there was a study that was done at Yale and, and one of our, um, you know, our team members, Kathleen likes to talk about it, about um, all of the people that went to Yale. And there was a group of people that had written like physically written goals, like on a piece of paper. And then there was everybody else. And so they went back and looked like 10 years later at the graduates of obviously who were all, you know, a group of amazingly talented people. And the group that had actually physically written their goals down were the ones that had achieved them. And the ones that did not actually have written goals out, you know, most of the time did not, you know, in terms of what they were able to do and grow and produce and how much they were able to you know, grow almost exponentially into their potential. Uh, and that may not have been something that people needed to do when it came to just having always a path forward of, oh, okay, well, there's like another test and I study for this and I pass this and then, oh, okay, like I get into residency and then then I pass my USMLE and then like I get my first job. But now is the first time that you're like, okay, uh, the next, you know, 30 plus years of my life, 
are, are no longer sort of just written out um, as a step-by-step pathway. And it's up for me to figure out like how far do I want to go and where do I want to take this um, and never losing sight of the ultimate reason <clears throat> that you started that journey in the first place. Um, so I would say, write those things out and, and don't be afraid to dream big and then make time for reflection about why you got there in the first place. Great stuff, Dr. Turner. Today, we've been talking to Dr. Trevor Turner, physician coach with the Healthcare Experience Foundation. Any other final thoughts or anything valuable you'd like to um, tell the audience before we wrap it up here? Yes. I want to congratulate Casey Callanan on his beautiful new baby and his wonderful wife who (laughs) is able to uh, provide a great family for you guys and, and for you guys to make it through the, uh, the joys and the, the ups and downs of being a, a family and being parents. That's awesome. Oh, uh, I appreciate that. Dr. Turner, very, uh, unnecessary, but, um, yeah, I would like to, um, uh, give my wife a shout out. She's unbelievable. And, uh, I'm a lucky, lucky individual. So, Folks, thank you for listening to today's episode of the Healthcare Experience Matters podcast. This has been Dr. Trevor Turner. Unbelievable stuff. And I can't wait to have him come back and join us again. Uh, Take care, everyone. And thanks again for your time today, Dr. Turner. Thanks so much for having me, Casey. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation with today's episode teaming with PRC. To learn more, visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.